Well, praise the Lord. It's good to see you all here tonight. Would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study through this epistle. As a reminder, we're in the section where we are discussing relationships. We've already discussed husband and wife relationships. We are currently looking at parent-children relationship, and after this will be employer-employee. I've inadvertently gotten wrapped up in verse 1 of chapter 6, where for four weeks we have considered the commandment for children to obey their parents in the Lord. Tonight will be our fifth week doing so, and I hope to move on from this verse after tonight. (laughs) From this verse, we've discussed the need for godly children, the need for obedience, the need for correction, And last week, the need for consistency. And remember that much of last week was just my opinion. There's nothing that says you have to do things the way that I do things. You're not wrong if you disagree with me. You might be wondering, then why give us your opinion? That's a fair question. First, I want to be clear that I do not think I'm God's gift to parenting. I'm not. Thanks for laughing, Shug. (laughs) But second, some don't really know anything except how they were raised, and that may not have been biblical. For example, some parents were abused when they were children, and they never knew it was possible to truly discipline your child in a godly fashion calmly without wailing on a child. And sometimes all people have ever known is yelling and screaming. And so that's how they end up approaching raising their kids. The cycle just continues. On the other hand, there were some parents who are raised, were raised in an environment where there was no structure and just about anything went. And being allowed to do pretty much whatever you wanted to do. And so some of them tend to parent much the same way. Where children aren't really disciplined as needed. And then sometimes what you see is the pendulum completely swings in the other direction. Someone might be raised in an abusive home, and when they grow up and have children, they conclude, I'm never going to discipline my child because they're still so scarred and bruised and hurt from their upbringing, and they're not going to let that happen in their home. And so there's a lot of emotional instability. Likewise, there are those, though less common, who were raised with no discipline. And because they ended up in a mess early in their adult life, they conclude the best way to deal with their children is to go over the top with discipline to ensure that their child never makes the same mistakes that they made so that they don't get on the same sinful road that they were saved out of. That's probably the least common scenario overall today, but in our kinds of churches, it's actually fairly common. Because when someone gets saved into a church like a church with standards, they all of a sudden begin to go over the top with things and they inadvertently make it miserable for their children and in an effort to keep them straight. And it ends up just being a mess and and backfiring many times. 
And so all I've been trying to do through this is give some practical tips, and you can take them or leave them. I'm not, I'm not hurt about that. I want you to know there has to be a balance in child rearing, a balance between mercy and truth and, and law and grace. And as parents, we must do our best to find the balance for our children. And a third reason I give, and I'm having to tell all you this because I got some feedback, but a third reason I give messages like I gave last week is because we see a lot of active duty military in our church. And it's hard enough when both parents are at home trying to do the right, but you let dad go downrange for six to eight months, and those kids better know how to obey. It gets very stressful. There's got to be an understanding in, in, our, in a church like ours that this is an issue that we deal with. We have two mothers here tonight with their husbands deployed, and both have children. And so some of these things are necessary when we start seeing military come in and one of the spouses go deployed. Mom ends up, it's typically mom, ends up being left to hold down the fort for six to eight months at a time while there's no fatherly presence. And I already mentioned how children respond quicker to dad than they do to mom, typically. But remember what I said uh, before that we have to make sure that we have this, this balance of mother and father. It's hard to explain, and, and Adrian tried real hard to not have to say when I came in the door, here, deal with this. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I know that's difficult. And, and as a military veteran of, of 21 years, I know whereof I speak here. I'm, I'm telling you what will happen if the children haven't learned proper obedience. The children start to rebel. They act out more and more at school. Stress builds upon mom until she's about to lose it. And she's at her wit's end at the end of this deployment. And then the day finally arrives when dad returns after being gone for six to eight months away. And all he wants to do when he gets home is spend quality time with his family. But instead, he comes back to a hornet's nest. She now dumps everything on him, says, here, deal with this. And instead of this joyous reunion, there are children that are severely out of tune. And a wife that's completely stressed, she finally gets to the place where she says, I'm not going through this again. And if you go deployed again, I'm out of here. Well, guess what? He's already got orders to go back. It's a rotational thing. He may not have orders in hand, but he already knows he's leaving again in six to 18 more months for another six to eight months. And so this cycle continues. Now he's so fed up at home that he says, I can't wait to go deployed because it gets me out of this environment. And now he's ready to go and, and he's ready to get out of this chaotic environment. And so when he does depart again, she takes the children, she goes back home because she needs help. And, and so she goes somewhere where she thinks she can get the help she needs. But guess what? This time she doesn't come back. She files for divorce and Satan got another victory. And I'm telling you that has happened time and time and time again in the military. I know. 
this is what I dealt with. And so there's a reason why you give lessons like last week. Because there's got to be an understanding that when mom says obey, you obey. Because dad's going to go downrange. And you may think I'm being overly dramatic, but I want to assure you that this is reality. And you may think I overemphasize the need for children to obey the first time you, you say something, but scenarios like I just described happen all the time. And it all started because children were not made to obey. That's why I give lessons like last week. I'll remind you tonight, there's no perfect parents. There's no perfect children. We're all sinners. And we're just learning as we go. Please make sure you exhibit grace to your child when you should. Don't ever lose sight of how merciful God has been with you. Let's begin tonight by reading verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy mother and father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. As we begin tonight, I want to give you a few more thoughts from where we ended last week. And remember, we're talking about the need for consistency. Say what you mean and mean what you say. We talked about how obedience needs to be immediate. Now, that's within reason, of course. But it needs to be immediate under just normal little kid circumstances. And we should expect that. This is just my two cents, and you can take it or leave it. But I'm not a fan nor would I recommend the counting method to your children. And understand, I don't think you're the devil if you do that. I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. The counting methods where a parent tells a child, stop doing something. But when the child doesn't immediately stop, they begin counting. One. Now you need to cut it out. Two. Don't make me come over there. Two and a half. So help me if I come over there. Two and three quarters. I'm making my way. And if I get there, blah, 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 blah. Is everybody okay tonight? Now, I'm not being harsh. But if you kind of resemble the, the parenting that we've discussed over the last several weeks then when you see a parent counting to their child, you see just how ridiculous that looks. It, it is. It looks absolutely ridiculous. Because that child should have stopped the moment you said to stop. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Be consistent. If the command is to stop doing something, then expect your child to obey right away. All you're doing in counting is you're teaching them delayed obedience. Because they'll quickly learn they have until you get to 2.9 and a half. That's not a number, but when you get to 2.95, they know they're still good. Some learn they can even call your bluff because you're too lazy to get up and do something when you get to three. Don't make me start counting again. <laughs> Meanwhile, the wrong behavior continues. Don't teach them they have until three to obey. They need to obey when you say to obey. Right then, not until your long five-minute drawn-out count to three. I've also noticed that the counting method tends to get the parent more mad. One, I'll come over there. 
to, I mean it. Don't make me come over there. You'll be sorry. Two and a half. So help me if I come over there, I'm going to beat you until you can't sit for a week. And the parents is getting madder and madder. The frustration is building because they're counting, expecting them to obey at one when they should have obeyed when you said it the first time. And now they're getting frustrated because they're getting closer and closer to three. You know, this would be good if this was a family conference. I think people might be more into it, brother, but I'm doing the best I can up here. I'm sure I've mentioned this at some point through these messages, but you should never have to raise your voice at your child. The only time you should do so is when they are doing something so absolutely stupid that they're about to get hurt. I'll give you an example. Karen Williams, one night you were in your car. I don't know if you remember this. I don't even know if we told you. But she was in her car, and it was like your foot was on the brake. It was like the brake lights were on. Remember this? And we had about three of our boys over there, for whatever reason, had completely lost their mind. And they're hiding behind her car way down here. And I thought she was about to let off the brake and go. And I'm like, (laughs) I think we both lost it. Have you lost your mind? Get out from behind that car! And so they come running out, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a Brooks for you, amen? I've never had to raise my voice at my children in normal disciplinary situations. I would have to confess to you that in my sinfulness it has happened. We'll probably talk more about this one when we get to verse uh, 4, but let your children know when you messed up and apologize to them. Some more advice before we move on. Once you've disciplined, let it go. Let it go. If you have to discipline and there's repentance, then restore fellowship immediately. I'm not always against sending a child to a room. Sometimes it's effective. But we've really never done that, maybe once or twice. It's been very rare. And here's my reasoning why. When God disciplines us and we repent, He immediately restores us back into fellowship. We get right back into a relationship with Him. With God, He not only forgives, but He forgets our sins and iniquities. And I realize in our human minds, we don't forget. But we sure can forgive. And when we have to correct children, don't hold it over their heads for days. Or even hours for that matter. But forgive them and move on. I've always let my children know, when the punishment's done, it's done. Let's move on. Forget about it. Don't beat yourself up over it. Let's move on. Just me personally, but I get more heartbroken when a child is forced out of fellowship for a lengthy amount of time than one which is spanked and everybody just moves on. Without rehashing all the background, remember when Absalom returned home to Jerusalem, but David, his father, refused to see him for two years. Two whole years had passed, and they had not seen each other face to face. And Absalom, he tried twice to get his father's attention by going to Joab and seeking an audience, and it failed both times. And so Absalom ended up burning Joab's barley fields just to get an audience with his father. And you know, sometimes a parent tries the separation routine to get their child's attention But the child continues to act out because they're trying to get their parents' attention. Well, we we keep telling this one, go to your room, go to your room, go to your room. 
and they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, because all you're doing is you're breaking fellowship. Just deal with it and move on. In my opinion, every time you discipline your child, you should take the time to explain to them why you are doing so. Why are you administering discipline? What's, what is the biblical principle in it all? What should they learn? How should they correct their behavior in the future? And then hug it out. Let them know how much you love them. And then encourage them in the way of godliness. Children tend to respond really well to parents who encourage their kids. I mentioned how my dad was a strict disciplinarian. And he sure was. I'm thankful for it. But here's why I'm thankful for it. My dad always encouraged me along the way. He always let me know how he believed in me. He always let me know I could be something in this life and someone for God. But parents, in their frustration, they tend to use words like never. You never listen. You're never going to amount to anything. You never get it right. And they use words like always. You always mess up. And that just beats a child down emotionally. And they want nothing more to do with it. Just be encouraging. And by the way, not every act of obedience needs a spanking. Not every act of obedience needs to be dealt with sternly. Aren't you glad tonight that God has been gracious with us? Amen. Try being gracious and merciful with your children sometimes. Now with the time we have remaining tonight, let's consider obedience versus willing obedience. In reality, obedience is not that difficult to achieve. I remember going to the circus as a kid back when it wasn't animal cruelty to have animals in the circus. I've seen lions, elephants, tigers, all obey somebody with a whip in their hand and a little bit of food. And I'm sure you've seen that too. I've seen men with grizzly bears on television wrestling with them. And then you hear the story later, they got mauled. And Sorry, that's not funny. All these animals could easily kill a human being, right? But with a whip, anything is possible. You can beat just about any animal or any person into obedience to your every command. But we've also heard the stories when those animals do turn against their authority and they do kill them. Because even in the animal kingdom, you can only take so much. It happens within homes too. A parent can beat their child into submission, but there's a powder keg that's developing that's going to explode one day as a result. And that child's only going to put up with so much until they're pushed out and they're pushed beyond their limit until at last they've had enough. And it's going to manifest in many different ways. It could be a passive rebellion where they're just biding their time. They're saluting smartly behind in, in front of you. Behind the scenes, they're rebelling against you in their heart. And the first opportunity they have, they're out of there. It could be open rebellion where the parent-child relationship is so strained that they fight back. It can come in the form of slanders and lies and accusations. 
There are any number of ways that it can become manifested, but the end result is the same. There's a broken relationship because the child has been beaten into obedience, but there was never loving instruction along the way. There was never encouragement. It was just constant law with no grace. Now the difference between obedience and willing obedience, it's a matter of the heart. And it's really a heart issue with both the parents and the children. And what I mean by willing obedience is we not only want our children to obey, but we want them to want to obey. We want them to obey because they understand we have their best interest in mind. And that we really do love them beyond measure. That we aren't trying to hurt them, but we're trying to help them in their life and in their walk with God. How did God get your heart? Well, He not only gave the law, but He gave grace. That's how God got our heart. He offered grace. He not only gave us truth, but He offered us mercy. And at the end of the law, we find Christ standing there with His arms open, ready to receive whosoever will. Imagine if a parent would exercise the law, but then welcome that repentant child back with open arms, with grace. Imagine if a parent broke their child's will, but then pointed them to God's will. We talked about breaking a child's will. That's great. But now what do you do with that child? You got to point them to God. A child tends to obey parents who are loving. When that child knows they are safe and secure in their standing with their parents, they have a comfort level of obeying. The issue of eternal security is questioned by some, and I'm not going to get into that doctrinally tonight, but how sad to think that there's a heavenly father up there who's just waiting to disown us every time we mess up. What's the criteria? What sin do we cross that says, okay, you're no longer saved? Because the Bible says if you, if you offend in one area, you've offended in all. I've mentioned through our Sunday morning series how the gods of this world are those who are served to appease them to avoid their wrath. But those Christians who believe that God will cast you out of the family and into hell if you don't appease them are just as guilty as that kind of, of thinking. And I, I said that to say this. I know that I am safe and secure in my standing with God. And it makes me want to serve Him more willingly. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make me want to serve Him less. It makes me want to serve Him more. It makes me want to be willingly obedient. I think the other way leads to servitude out of fear. Because there's a big trainer up in the sky with a whip. And if you don't do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick you out. And so we end up just serving out of fear. We end up with people who obey and they're morally pure, which is great. But it's all out of fear of losing salvation. And they're not truly experiencing living in the love of their father. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Aren't you glad the Lord took our wrath upon Himself? He took our place. 
And if, if he did that, then we ought to know that he loves us beyond measure. And once we come to him, he will not cast us out, but he is merciful and gracious. He's a, he's a father who cares for his children. And if you hope to win your child's heart, then you have to study how God treats you as his child. And apply those uh, principles to your child rearing. Yes, we have to be firm about our word. God is about His word. It never changes. Amen? It's forever settled. You you can't change the word. But we can also be gracious in how we instruct. Because God is gracious in how He instructs us. I serve my heavenly Father not out of fear, but because He loves me. I've learned that it's a blessing to obey God. Amen? It's a blessing. And we want our children to obey because they've learned that we love them. And that there's blessings for doing so. So praise your children when they do right. Now, I need to finish this for tonight. But our relationship with our children, it needs to model our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Without a doubt, this is, this is my testimony in my life and I don't have time to get deep into it. And I've only shared it once at men and boys camp out. But my father, the way he raised me, it made me know how my relationship with my heavenly father works. It, it helped me in that he demonstrated the love of God. It helped me that I could more easily see my need for a close relationship with God. If we're to win our children's heart then it will ultimately take them going to Christ for salvation. I don't want to to leave that out of this equation. They have to yield themselves to the Holy Spirit. I can tell you from experience with my own children that Adrian Adrian and I noticed a big difference in our parenting, the approach when our children began to make a profession of faith. And in one case, that's all it was. And nothing really changed in the child's heart. But when they did business with God, I I mean, it was incredible. It was like, okay, now the light has come on. And this child now understands that we just want what's best for you. And so a lot of this has to be getting them to Christ. Therefore, When you discipline your children, you should direct them to Christ. At every opportunity, you should do so. You have to take the time to make the spiritual application in everything. That's what Deuteronomy teaches. When they rise, when we walk with them, when they they go to bed, we're to be teaching them in the way. And we're to take the time. It takes work, which we've already said. But it takes work, and so we have to take the time with our children to teach them the spiritual principles along the way. Because ultimately, our hope is that we are kicking them ever so slightly over to the cross, right? And so as we discipline, we're hoping that they're moving closer and closer to the cross. But without the spiritual application, all they ever really see is an angry mom or dad. Well, that was good. And we'll go to our little short business meeting here in just a minute. Let's pray.